Welcome back to Two Track Minds. I'm Liam Toms. With me, as always, is... Edward Crawley. And welcome also to 2021. Oh. A brand new year. You thought we were going to have a special guest, didn't I'm you? I literally so, thought um, Ian from the Night the of Us was coming up again. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Um, oh, this is good. our music show. That was a music pun. Uh, where we get together to talk about music as we've been doing for over 20 years offline and now we do it via the medium of podcast Uh, and this is not only our 30th episode not only our first episode of the new year but it's a big episode because we've been working our way up to this one for a while if you cast your mind back if you've been listening for a while back to uh, the autumn if you can remember that, September 2020, seems like a lifetime ago, uh, we picked five albums at random each uh, to go away and listen to and report back on. Uh, now, these albums came from a book uh, which was gifted to me many moons ago, uh, 2008, I think it was, maybe 2007, uh, called The 261 Greatest Albums Since Punk and Disco uh, by Gary Maholland. Um, it's also called Fear of Music. I don't know why it's got two titles, but there you go. Um it's still available, the book, if you look around online. Uh, ideally, don't buy from Amazon. Look look somewhere else. Uh, but you can find it, um, and it's a fantastic book. And actually, rereading some of it for this episode, I was reminded of how much I actually enjoyed this book. Um, so that was, that was, it was a, it's been a should, good opportunity to revisit this. Should we be asking for money? That was quite a plug. He, I doubt he would have got that much airtime when it was first released. <laughs> it might be past the point of this uh being a uh, PR campaign for the book, um, but I'm sure Gary is still out there. Let's hope he is. Um, and if you're listening, we'll welcome the uh, the royalties of another book sale. So yeah, go and check it out. It's um it's fantastic, and the way that he writes as well. I was reminded of how much I've actually lifted from his style of, of writing in my own writing, and I kind of forgot about that. Stolen. Sorry. Stolen. <laughs> lifted is the uh, is the um, song by the Lighthouse Family. Uh, great song. Great the- song. The polite way of saying stolen, yes. Um, so, I don't know if you want to start by just reflecting on the experience of having gone through this uh, this exercise uh, and, and, and how it's been for you. I know you got started a lot quicker than I did. Yeah, I'd done, but I, th- I think back then I was running quite a lot. I got, I got pretty much four listened to as a first draft, we'll call it, in a week. Um, That's pretty impressive. It's got- taken me... Four months. <laughs> um, and then it's only recently I've gone back to one of them to listen again, just to confirm what I, so one of them has been a hard listen um, to the point where I was just put off listening again. I was quite happy to just come on here and say no and not really have any notes before that's not great journalism. And although we do like to have a little laugh and a joke, we also like to give stuff some thought so I went back and I've done them all again this week. But in between, I've done a couple of them a few times. One of them a lot. Um, um, I'd go as far to say as it's been a life-changing experience. Wow. Um, the whole concept of it. I think it was cool. It was a, it was not out of our comfort zone, but possibly. You know, I know we do. We we talk a lot about the Spotify release radar on a Friday. Um, but obviously these albums, I don't know about yours, but mine were not recent. <laughs> no, um, I think my most recent one was 2001, perhaps. Yeah, and my most recent, I believe, was 88. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Um, so I got some more recent ones then because I had a, I had mine, a couple that were. Mine went back 19- as far as 1976. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think that's probably around the time of my earliest one was late 70s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would have been for Earth, Wind and... That's right, yeah. Fire. Fire. I was trying to remember yours. Um, no, but it's been good. How about you? Have you found it? Because obviously it did take you longer to get around to listening to all of them. Yeah, I think I I liked the concept when we first came up with it. <laughs> I think when I was given the list, when I saw what it was, I was Put perhaps off. a little bit more daunted by it yeah uh, but i think mostly what it was is that around that time there was still lots of new music coming out and i was behind on podcasts i think where i've caught up on all of that over christmas and it sort of quietened down a little bit new music wise for about a month um i haven't resented making time to listen to these so much so i think i'm now listening to them more for enjoyment and less as like homework because that's what it, it felt a little bit like at first. And I think the unfortunate thing is that the first one that I listened to, I really didn't like when yeah, first listen. Yeah. So I was kind of like, right, okay, I've actually got around to doing this. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a good start, but uh, I pulled it around. I, I did enjoy the other four for the most part. Wow. Um, so we haven't talked about this, but do you want to alternate, take it in turns? Yeah, I'll drop, I'll drop one if you want now. Okay. So, uh, and it fits quite nicely what you said about homework, because I chose this album thinking it wouldn't feel like homework. And I thought, I'll play it safe, and I will go Beastie Boys, uh, Licence to Ill. I thought, Fight for Your Right to Party, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. You know, I know a couple of the newer songs. I'll go back. I never really did this when it first, when well, not when it first came out, because Christ, it was 1986, I wasn't born. But I never, I, I knew Fight for Your Rights Party, but I never went back and sort of did the Beastie Boys listening. It wasn't something I did. Um, and I think that's possibly to do with like growing up with soundtracks to like Tony Hawk's and Kerrang! And Beastie Boys not being a current band. So buying Kerrang! every Wednesday, you were sort of a little bit told what to like. You know, when there was the whole emo thing, you were told to, here's Papa Roach, here's Funeral for a Friend, here's Finch. So Beastie Boys weren't, and until they did like a legacy episode or a, um, a issue or something like that, it wasn't someone, but obviously that video was played on Scuzz, Kerrang! all of them all the time. So I thought, fuck it, I'll go Beastie Boys I'll enjoy this. And actually, I hated it. Uh, oh, wow. I found it... I hate strong I, word. I, I, I know there's probably a, a real uh, ironic sort of humour to the whole thing, but it's, it's juvenile, childish, and it's crude. And I didn't get it. And uh, I wonder if that's because, like I just said, I wasn't... If I was a teenager... In 1986, and I was looking for an alternative to Phil Collins, I might have said, yes, this is just what I need in 1986. Because bands that were massive then were like Madonna, Phil Collins, Dire Straits, you know, Talking Heads were like, so on the alternative side, you had like Talking Heads, Maiden were around, Iggy Pop was obviously going... So there was, and Ramones, so you had this punky thing, and then you had like the likes of Run DMC, and then you had these three white guys from New York who released this 
album that made it okay for white people to get into hip-hop and rap. So I understand the importance of them, but for me, the album, the samples over straight away, the first track, I believe, is Led Zepp. I didn't even Google that, but I'm pretty sure I remember it's a Led Zepp sample. And I just didn't get it. I found it really hard to listen to. I've, you know, it's interesting in their, the tones of their voice because it's not what you'd come to expect from a polished rap sound. It's very edgy. It's very sort of, there's the punk elements of, the, but it just wasn't for me. Really wasn't for me. And I know people are screaming at me saying, what, Beastie Boys, Beastie Boy? Well, it's just not for me. My my sound was more polished. I was into Lagwagon and Less Than Jake, you know. So, you know, I was told by Tony Hawks that, that you know, I liked Dead, that one Dead Kennedys track, but it was like this, I wasn't after Beastie Boys. I wasn't looking for for something alternative to like when I was a teenager. I had it all out on a plate for me. I'd already decided what my music was, you know, and yeah, I just, I didn't get it. I'm sure it's meant to be ironic, but yeah. Just thinking of a Beastie Boys release that was nearer to our era. Check, um, to, check, to, check, to check it out. What, 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 no, I was thinking of um, like Sabotage and Intergalactic. Yeah, I get that, but that, that's different to this first album. Okay. The Sabotage song is different. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. And that's not because I don't know. This like was the first one you listened to, was it? Yeah, that was the first one I listened to. So I was yeah, like, see, my first one I didn't like too much either. But in terms of like not keeping it negative, I'm I'm thinking about flipping my running order now, so that um, this doesn't just become a uh, a downbeat start to the podcast. Put it, put it this way: for me, it was no Goldie looking chain. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want everyone. To, I I do get what they did, and I do get the importance of them. I'm not thick, you know. I don't get the Beatles, but I know why they're a hellishly important band. And I know what Paul McCartney and Lennon did as songwriters for the for most bands ever. But it, yeah, it's not for me. I won't be listening to it again. I've got no reason to listen to it again. And that was skipping Fight for Your Right to Party every time because I've heard that song a billion times. Yeah, um, yeah that's interesting because there was a few albums that had songs on that I know really well. Um, and when I was listening to them, I did think, should I be paying more attention to the others? But because I loved those songs so much, I had to yeah, yeah. listen to them. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what they were as we come to them. Well, yeah, that's that's all I really need to say about that. I, I, um, you know, I won't be listening to you've, you've got some good ones coming up though, right? Yeah, I'm doing mine in order of hate to like. Oh, okay. Um, that was my least favourite of the five. <laughs> which right. if, if people are now going through the running order um i find it funny that someone might be like what's number four then like because i've i had one at number four which is not at number which is i, I would have pinned number four as number five in when i first thought of it so i was quite okay. surprised so yeah well, i'll stick with my order i right. stick with the order that i did um because this is the order that i listened to them in, okay and it, it feels most natural doing it this way um so the first one that I listened to was Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, it's their second album. It's called Heaven Up Here, uh, which I learnt in reading about the album. Uh, basically means like off your tits on drugs. <laughs> oh, does it? <laughs> yeah, it means like, you know, it's hell on earth, but it's heaven up here. 
Oh, okay. Um, so it's like it's about a state of mind, uh, and and that kind of flows through the whole album. Like it, so it, it came out in the early eighties, and it's sort of it, it, it's quite firmly in what they regard post punk to be. So it's it came after obviously punk happened in the the seventies. So it's sort of like sandwiched somewhere between punk and sort of new romantic, and I don't I don't think that's necessarily where their sound would have gone but there were certain things about the way that he sang and his pronunciation that i thought yeah this this sort of like blazes a trail through to the way that the, the new romantic like spandau bally sort of like delivery of, of vocals um were, were done back then um but i i really didn't enjoy it on the first listen and i found it tough as you, as you say yeah. um and i and i think i said to you a few initial thoughts at the time uh, but the the sort of overwhelming feeling that I had was that I felt like I'd been stood watching a support band for half an hour because everything was fine. Like there was no, they were, it wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it deserved to be there. Like a lot of support bands do, but when you're waiting to see something else, you just have that feeling of just like, okay, just get on with it. And you just, you stood there having to kind of endure it. And that's, that is really how I felt with the album. Oh, wow. Um, did you get the did you get the feeling of like oh bollocks they've been given 45 minutes not 30 <laughs> yeah yeah that was, there were some bonus tracks on the remastered version i got collared with that <laughs> no, I, I i stopped i didn't listen to bonus tracks i thought that was what, what, what's a track off that album that i might know none that oh. i the, <laughs> This is the thing. There's, there's not anything that would really class as singles because I think probably their singles came later. No, right, this yeah, is yeah. only their second album. Um, and it, I think in my head as well, I was a bit surprised. The reason I picked them first is because I had an idea in my head of what it was going to sound like. And I know we always joke about the lightning seeds on this show for no reason. We, we, we know nothing about the lightning seeds, really. Yeah. Uh, we just, you know, <laughs> we just joke about the front man and that he supposedly comes and uh, joins us on the show. Um, if, if, you, if this is your first episode, go back and listen to some other shows and that will, that joke will make um, sense. Um, but yeah, it, it's not what I thought it was. I, I think I must have conf- confused them. Like, Well, I as I did, more... I, I said Ocean Colour Train, uh, uh, Ocean Colour Scene, didn't I? Because I was like, oh, is that yeah. the band who did The Day We Caught the Train? Yeah, and that was Ocean Colour Scene. Yeah, and okay. so yeah, I, I can't, Say I know. I'm sure I would know if I heard it. Are they the type of thing that would be on like um, Absolute Eighties or a Jack FM or something? No, not, maybe some of their later stuff. Maybe they had a big single oh. later in the day. Um, I think they were they were probably kind of neck and neck with U2 when U2 first started out. Okay. So if you go back to the really early U2 albums, which are a little bit more off the wall, uh, and then U2 became like a commercial success. Well, it became U2. <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of goes without saying. But I feel like Echo and the Bunnymen didn't do that same trajectory. So I don't know whether they had a big single. I might, I might be completely wrong. I, I haven't researched it. Um, but anyway, so I went back and listened to it again. <laughs> against my will yeah, yeah. for for the uh in the interest of as you say good journalism uh, if that's what you can call us and i actually didn't mind it the second oh, time right. I, I was surprised at how much of it i'd kind of like sunk in so i was at least recognizing some of the tunes and actually i was i was hearing things i guess in a different light and i i didn't actually mind certain aspects of it like 
where I thought it was boring to begin with, I was actually hearing like some of like the, the kind of like the grooves in the bass lines and stuff. And even just the bass tone on it, it's got that very sort of like twangy kind of like, like not properly produced bass like we hear now. Like it sounds yeah. like a live bass guitar. Like I always have this idea in my head of like, like an, like a fun bass sound. And it's, it's the sound that you used to get when you used to go to, well, for us, it was Mr. Smith's, but like to a local venue and it, the bass just isn't like properly, uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah set up in the mix you know how it should be so you get this real sort of twangy sound and uh yeah i, I quite i quite enjoyed it on the second There's something lesson. endearing about that yeah it yeah it had it, it, well you know to use the the live um example that i gave of it being like a support band it was almost like if you were going to see the same band again and then you saw the support band a second time you're like well, okay like it's you know it's a, it's a solid show and yeah, so I, I, I've not really got a bad word to say about it. Uh, interestingly, and there's another inside joke here, so their uh, manager um, was on record uh, commenting about the album um, and was quite scathing of it, actually. Uh, let me find what he said. Um, right, so the guy, uh, Bill Drummond, <laughs> Drummond is the inside joke, uh, said that the, uh, the album is dull as ditch water. The songs are unformed and the sound is uniformly grey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was in 1999, looking back on it. So I don't know if it was a uh, particularly fond moment for uh, most people involved, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm sure for fans it's a uh, it's a it's a cult favourite. But there's nothing of note here. So I feel like if you were growing up and you'd and you'd gone through punk in the 70s which i guess given the title of this book gary maholland did this would have been a cool band to yeah. have listened to and followed and i think probably because they didn't reach that u2 height that coolness never waned um so yeah i mean i don't think i'm gonna recommend it to anyone but... i think i'll check it out i think i will listen yeah, to that give it a go I, there's other albums on the list that i think you would you would enjoy more um I have got one that I'm going to recommend that you do listen to, but I don't think you'll dislike this. I just, I just don't think it was particularly exciting, really. Uh, but the the whole drug vibe, though, you kind of get that listening to it. Like it, it is. Were you the second time? Out. Were you on drugs? No, Did, no. no, I hadn't even had a beer. You're you're saying no, but you're nodding your head. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a FaceTime joke, there, everyone. Because uh, as we to make it seem like we're in the same room, we do FaceTime as we're doing this. It's, it feels like a proper setup this evening because I've actually got a mic. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel yeah, we're, not, we're not we're not messing around. I feel professional uh, this evening, uh, which is what I'll say about my next album. It's a very professional job. Um, weirdly, the producer on it is Rick Rubin, the same producer who did Beastie Boys' License to Will. Um, oh, that's an odd coincidence. You got two of his. Yeah, and considering um, this next album came out a lot later. Um, Still going at it. Well done, Rick. Um, but yeah, my next album is Johnny Cash, American 3, Solitary Man, uh, which I've now learned is quite a big series of his, this American series. I think there's six of them. And one of them contains his biggest cover hit, Hurt, which was originally done by Trent Reznor or, or Nine Inch Nails, or yeah. whatever you'd prefer. So it's it's a, it's a sort of covers and new tracks album. It's like half and half. First half is covers, and then it 
there's a few new tracks at the bottom to finish it off. And it's, it is what it is. It's, it's all right. If you're Johnny Cash is one of those people that if you like Johnny Cash, you love Johnny Cash. You know, he's like a Dylan or a Neil Young or a Bruce Springsteen. If you are a fan of him, it's like they can do no wrong, you know. It, the people get the same with Lou Reed. It's like, oh, my God, yeah, I love this. He's farted into a microphone. Oh, my God, he did it while he was on heroin or whatever. And Johnny Cash has got that sort of appeal about him. He was just, he was iconic in the country scene and just became this world-renowned star and did all the lifestyle with it, you know. And it's all right. The first cover is Tom Petty went back down. And it's all right. It's just sang in that. You're sort a of, big Tom Petty fan. How yeah, does that? Um, it, well, it's it's, it's just sang in the, that sort of Johnny Cash baritone voice. Whereas Tom Petty is like sort of not nasally, but he's a lot higher in tone. And then you've got Tom Petty. Well, I won't back down. I'll be turned around. You know, it's all very, and it's you know, it's. It's all right. It didn't. None of it wowed me. None of it was like, but I didn't. But also, I couldn't really slate it. It was. It was. I've heard worse covers, and the tracks he does of his own. I, you know, I was probably more interested to hear them. You know, he does a U two one. He does um, one. Um, he does a Neil Diamond song. He does a Nick Cave song. It's all right. It's all right. I won't I won't go back and listen to it again. I'm not like this is one of the best covers I've ever heard. It's not 99 Red Balloons by Goldfinger. <laughs> um, um, it, it was like it was credited as like reinventing his career though, wasn't it? Because this came like quite late in his life. And yeah, it wasn't it, like the sixth one was like in his final days that he made it or Yeah, yeah, something like that. I have like I said, the um this American series became, yeah, the man comes around was the, um, you got number five had her on, I think. No. Oh, okay. Um, was it number four? Number four had her on when his wife died. Um, and number six, yeah, was almost to the point where I think it might've been released after cause it's called ain't no grave. Um, and it's got like songs like Redemption Day on, which I can't remember who sings it now. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It, you know, to anyone else, it would probably feel like a genius at work. Like these are the best covers. He always improved them. But, you know, I can only go on how I felt. And the second half of his own compositions, they were all right. I went, but it didn't make me think. It didn't make me think. Oh fuck me! I better go back and listen to Ring of Fire. Do you know what I mean? Mm, it didn't. Mm. Ma- it didn't make me go. Bloody hell! Now I know what people say about Johnny Cash. I understand it, which is what I have had with other bands that are of an age. Like I had that moment when with Fleetwood Mac. I went, oh, rumors, and I listened to it, and I went, I get it now. I get it, and now I'm. I love Fleetwood Mac. And the same with Bruce Springsteen. You hear I think the... I can see rumours over your shoulder on the yeah, wall there's there. a po- Yeah, there's a poster of it. But, you know, there's a, there's been bands who haven't hit straight away and then I've, and I've got them. But I don't, this wasn't an album that did that for me. 
But again, he's one of those people that is like, take note, it's Johnny Cash. But I, I haven't watched the film about him. I, I'm not, I've got no interest in... I wasn't a massive fan of that Hurt cover he did. You know, to me, it's all a bit... I hurt myself today. Well, you've got the impression down. Well, yeah. If, I, if, I've, after listening to, if I've learned yeah. anything, you know, but if it's, you know, I wouldn't go, if if you're not after a new covers album, Liam, don't go listen to it. No, I, it, it's never made it to the top of my uh, listening pile, I must say. Any of Johnny Cash's um, stuff. I didn't realise that he'd done six of those in that series. That's um, it's quite an extensive body of work. Yeah, one, two... Three. All with uh, Rick Rubin, was it? Oh, I don't know about that. Because I'm, I'm sure that he did Hurt. Because Rick that would Rubin did Ain't No Grave. Uh, right. Yeah, so it might have been with all. They all might have been with Rick yeah, Rubin. Because okay. um, I remember, it, I've heard of. Um, I'm obviously familiar with the the collaboration. Rick Rubin, sorry, Rick Rubin did that one. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, it was seen as quite a cool thing and quite an unusual thing as well. Yeah, they're all they're all with Rick Rubin. Yeah, yeah um, who is predominantly a metal producer back in the day, wasn't he? I think he did a lot of that era of stuff. Yeah, when he did Beasties, he was known for his metal work because it, it said that in the book. That was one of the things I did read and write down. Um, and then he went up from Beastie Boys. He did like LL Cool J and Public Enemy yeah. and Run DMC. And a lot of the Def Jam Records thing, which mm-hmm. Beasties, because of that, moved away from Def Jam Records. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, they actually, I think they only did the one release with them. Um, but yeah, anyway. Well, from Cash to Clash. Hey! <laughs> uh, my next one is Combat Rock by The Clash, which, yeah, how did if you I'm find it? right in saying was their second to last album. I learned a lot about The Clash through Thank this. You. So I'd, I'd say that was probably one of the good things that came out of uh, of listening to this album and having this on my list to do, um, was that I just learned some interesting facts. One thing, so Rock the Casbah, which is on this album, is unden- undeniable as one of, you know, perhaps one of the, the, the greatest songs of all time. But have you ever wondered what that, beeping noises because to me it always sounds like there's a mobile phone going off in i want to say the second verse you ever notice yes, that? I know, yes i know what you're on about yeah 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 what is that then um i can't remember which member of the band it was but it's basically one of them had a new watch new digital watch and that was the alarm um and he basically played the alarm on the track as a contribution <laughs> So that settles that mystery. That's um, oh, that... I'm sure I could have found out if I wanted to uh, in the past, but I've just just always heard it there and just never really quite made the time to, to dig out what it was. Um, so one of the things that it... I was... Oh, sorry. Uh, it's should I stay or should I go on this album as well? It is, yeah. All right. That's all uh, I know. So, yeah, and again, I mean, that that I, I like Rock the Casbah a lot more than Should I Stay or Should I Go, but that's obviously undeniably a, a huge punk rock track as well. Uh, and just a classic, you know, rock track, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but the the other single that's on this that I'd say is lesser known, but is a is a song that I love, is uh, "Straight to Hell." Okay. Um, which I first became aware of. This is this shows perhaps our era uh, through the Kevin and Perry 
movie. Um, it's in one of the scenes of that. Um, and I think it's basically like things are going wrong. For, so if you've, if you've not seen the Kevin and Perry film, go large, uh, bear with us. Um, there's a scene where things have started to go wrong for them and they're kind of just like walking through the street and it's, it's almost, it looks a bit like oh, an in-betweeners yeah. moment uh, and straight to how he's playing over this, this moment. Um, I learned uh, reading about this album that uh, straight to hell is actually about um, Vietnam war. So oh, right. perhaps it's used in Kevin and Perry is, uh, is perhaps a bit distasteful. <laughs> Um, because it's, it's got nothing to do with um, with, with teenagers at all. Um, a bit of juxtaposition, though, eh? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that on this album. It's a lot of um, sort of social commentary, as you might expect from a punk band. But I think at this point they were kind of beyond like the sort of um, mouthy, you know, in your face sort of punk rock, and were getting very um, political and, and very knowledgeable about things that were going on, particularly Joe Strummer. Uh, but the, the most interesting thing about this album, which I didn't appreciate before, is that the band was falling apart. Uh, and this is the last oh, right. album that they did with the guitarist and the drummer. Uh, the guitarist wrote, should I stay or should I go, about the band. <laughs> um, and the drummer wrote um, the music to Rock the Casbah. Uh, but Joe Trummer did write the, the lyrics. So he was fired because of um, his drug problem. Uh, and I can't remember why it was that the, uh, Mick Jones, the guitarist, left. So this this was kind of the end of the Clash, really. Um, obviously, they kept playing for years, uh, but it was basically Joe Strummer and, and the other um, dude that that stayed. Uh, so yeah, a lot of the the songwriting contribution came from members that left the band after this album. Uh, but I mean, I that's mad. I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it, but it, it's a bit scatty. Like the, you can tell that they've kind of got to a point where they've done a lot. And I, I hadn't appreciated either that the album that came before this was a free album, a free disc album. And they were looking at even making this a two disc. Um, but they were just at a point where like, I guess they got like a few singles yeah. um, under the belt when they were writing it. And then they just, just did whatever the hell they wanted for the rest of the album with mixed results. And there was points where I just, I did just kind of just switch off a little bit. Like it just kind of went over my head. Yeah. But you can't deny those, you know, straight, straight to hell, should I stay or should I go and rock the Casbah free, like you just, uh, those songs will never go away and straight to hell, obviously less so. Um, but there's a cover that Lily Allen did a few years back. Um, I think it might have been with someone else and she did it as like the vocalist. But yeah. that's really good too. I really like that. Um, but yeah, it's given it a bit of new meaning now I know what it's about. Uh, but yeah, so I, none of the rest of the album really stood out to me. Uh, there's a track called Car Jamming that I think may have been relatively well-known to Clash fans. But uh, yeah. I've just um, searched the the album and I yeah I can only say I know those two tracks on it I'd, I've, I'd like I think yeah I think if played to me I would know it's the clash because it's a very distinctive sound but I only know of should I stay or should I go and rock the casbah yeah but you know um, it's I don't think my knowledge of them is that great anyway in, in at all that much anyway which you know for someone who likes punk is probably the wrong thing to well, say i think what you said at the top of the episode was quite honest about you know when we were getting into music 
we were our minds were kind of like you know our heads were sort of like very forward on things and we were there was so much new music that we were getting into that we didn't have to go back and we did we sort of like dipped into like uh compilations of like the best punk songs and we kind of understood it on that level and had an appreciation for where it had come from yeah I don't definitely think, i don't think we were ever really like hung up on like you know the, the classics or anything or, or or felt the need to dive back into those other albums because there's still so much good new stuff coming through i think maybe if we got into punk at a point where there was a bit more of a drought like maybe even in the 90s but in the early 2000s like punk rock was really taking off again um and i just feel like there was a lot more that we could connect with like from new bands and connect with just on the basic level of like they were touring and we could go and see them yeah i like, think this is a big you know, thing to do with it Sorry. I think that has a big thing to do with it, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, the fact that there's so many points I could have gone back, but the other thing to remember here is like, we couldn't afford to like now we can. And that's, you know, that's one of the crazy things about doing this whole experiment is that if we wanted to do this, like 20 years ago, we'd had to have bought all these albums. Yeah. Just just being able to just stream them. And if you didn't like it, it doesn't matter. Uh, you pay your monthly subscription. That's that. Um, we can do this, but yeah, I, I think had we had Spotify back then, maybe we'd have paid more attention and maybe we'd have dived back into some older stuff. But yeah, just it's just I think the moment's just kind of passed. I'm I'm, I'm not going to suddenly become a big Clash fan. No, no. So saying about diving into the past, um, this album is fits quite nicely into that. Released in 1988. Um, and again, just saying on what I said at the start and what you've just said, we were in a position when we were getting into music where we were, we would have the occasional like essential punk or, you know, the essential scar, for instance. I used to get a compilation every Christmas from a relative, like my gran. It would be like, oh, getting that scar on. And it would have like um, the selector on. Uh, you know, yeah. three minute hero and the specials and madness and bad manners, and it would have all of them on. But, but it's when, the it, when it came to new punk, obviously it was all still coming out. And so that's a clue. This is a, a punk in adversity commas album. It, my punk was all there for me. It was all dicky shorts, white socks up to your, up your ankles, vans trainers and a band t-shirt. So and I, that was just blink on it too. Well, yeah, yeah. It was more polished. And although I've now moved away from that sound, it's taken me till I'm 33, 20 years later, to, to, to go... Some of these bands that I'm falling in love with now, these punk bands, they're, I'm just finding out about them. And so this is a band for me that I knew the name, I knew a couple of songs, and I knew where the front man had come from, and that's Fugazi. So I obviously know of Minor Threat, and I know of Discord Records, and this man who has basically helped shape the modern sort of post-punk, emo, punk scene since the first ever band he was in. And I know that he he has this legacy now where he still owns the Discord Records house, where he stores all the stuff and everything, and there's been other bands where they've got like a legacy guy in, like Walter um, Sheffels or however you 
pronounce his yeah, last Schreifer. name. It's funny, I was trying Schreifer, to think about this earlier because I need to reference him in one of my albums. And I was thinking, how the fuck do you actually pronounce his surname? But so, I know who you mean, from Quicksand. Yeah, but, from, but, but also from Rival Schools, who is a... Yeah more polished sound because he is he was in gorilla biscuit so you could go right back and say he's a founding father of this hardcore punk straight edge scene but ian mckay McKay, or mckay or however you pronounce his name wasn't one of those people i'd ever thought to go back and um look at so i was quite interested to check out this album and um from what i can see they were on about uh, the, the, their first album, 13 Songs, was derived of two EPs. So you had a seven-track EP and then another one. So, I, I, you know, Spotify's got the 13... It's officially on Spotify called 13 Songs. But the, So I don't know whether that book was talking about the seven-song thing, which had the same cover and was just called Fugazi, or whether it was on about the whole thing. So I just did the whole thing um, because the first seven tracks are the same anyway. And... um. I didn't. Uh, yeah, it's another one of those ones. I, I liked it, and I, I knew "Waiting Room" straight away, which is the first track. Luckily, because I know I remember the bass line: "Bom ba ba bom 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 bom." You'd probably know it if you heard it, and I knew that, and I was like, "Ah, familiarity." I I think I'm going to enjoy this. I like a lot of punk. I like a lot of emo for lack of a better term. And, you know, I like, I know they've had a big involvement in the scene and in so many fucking podcasts, they're always referencing Fugazi, Fugazi. Yeah. I was at one of those Fugazi shows. I was at one of those Fugazi, you know? So I was like really excited. And um, I don't know if it's an age thing again, you know, the same with Beastie Boys. Like when I was getting into punk, I was listening to like NerfX Blink-182, Green Day. Like, my icons were Billy Joe Armstrong and Joey Cape and Walter, to a certain extent, you know, because I loved rival schools. And But Eva, it's taken me till now to go back and listen to Quicksand and Gorilla Biscuits and stuff to find out what he was doing before rival schools. And, you know, I'm, I, like I say, I'm 33 now, and I'm only just going back. So I, the Fugazi thing hadn't hit my radar yet. You know, the oldest punk I like is probably dead kennedys and i only own i I have two albums of theirs and you know jello biffera or whatever his name is um but that was again because of the tony hawk soundtrack with police truck i fucking love that track like police truck is the most amazing track but i never minor fret just i've never i couldn't tell i know they've got an album called out step and that's it so for me i wasn't ever looking for fugazi in my life because when i was into like post-punk i was getting into million dead that was million dead was as heavy as i went as one at one point <laughs> and you know or finch or funeral for a friend and i'm not massive fans of these bands you know but it was because kerrang was saying oh here's last resort by papa roach go and listen to that so maybe it's a naivety maybe it's a lack of you know like you said not being able to buy the funds but you know, I don't think if I'd seen this cover in a in a local record shop, I would have gone. I'm going to buy this album because of the red cover. So it's. I will listen to it again because I think it's something I could get into. But as of as we speak and do this podcast, it was okay. It was good, but it, I've heard better stuff of the genre, and I know there's going to be a fuck ton of people who are screaming at me now for saying that. But I, 
and there's the argument, and someone messaged us, uh, us today. Um, was it Fraser who messaged us today? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Said at the drive-in, um, all these bands that wouldn't be around if it wasn't for Fugazi. And I totally get that. But I'm not an yeah. at-the-driving dri- at the fan either. So- <laughs> sometimes. And I just, I feel like people will try and catch you out on that. Like, if somebody like Gaslight Anthem, and then they said, but I don't like Bruce Springsteen. I'd struggle with that because I'd think, yeah, but but it's logical. Like the kind of, like, that's where the influence comes. But I don't think you should ever feel that you have to like what came before it because it might be that that person was inspired by something that came before, but it's how they recreated it, how they put their, uh, yeah. their seed on it, that that's what you like. And it might just be that it's something that they brought to the table that makes it right for you. So I think sometimes there can be a bit of snobbery around that. So I, I always try and push back a little bit on, on feeling like, Oh, you must like all the artists that the bands you like were into because if that were true, I would have to like the Beatles because so many bands that I like will always say, well, I will get onto this in another okay. album. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're, t- you're totally right. And but the, 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 what I will say in Fugazi's credit is that what they were doing back then was a very different sound. You think one of the tracks, um, ah, bollocks. Did I write it down? No, I didn't. But it's a track that the other singer sings, a guy called Guy Picciotto I'm going with. And I prefer it when he's singing. I really like the songs he sings because he's got a bit of more of a um, typical punk sounding voice. It's a bit harsher, whereas Ian's is a bit more like, like Ian can sing. Um, and it's got this deep, he's got a deep voice, but, you know, it's it's a different tone to um, to the other guy. Um and I actually prefer them, but there's one track where it sounds like it's going to pick up. And I was really excited. I was like, ah, oh, yes, it's going to be like a punk track. And then it slows down. And it, oh, uh, so I don't know the name of the track, but I can see it. It goes, you, so it, it's like on the drums. And then it suddenly just stops and goes, you can't be what you want. And I'm like, oh, it's just another track where they've slowed it down again. And I think that's what I'm not, uh, I was going to say upset. Upset's not the fucking word. It hasn't upset me. But, <laughs> yeah, I th- well, that's probably the best. but I think Ian's the type of guy from podcasts I've listened to where they've discussed him. And the odd, I think he's done two interviews on a podcast. And I've listened to both because, again, I think he's an interesting guy. And I appreciate the legacy that he has done and the way he runs his record label. And I, I really get all that. And I think that's amazing that he's managed to do all that. But if I've developed anything, I wouldn't be surprised if when he was writing those Fugazi songs, they wrote it and then he suddenly went, yeah, but don't carry on that speed. Let's slow it down now because they won't expect it. Do you know what I mean? And to, to some people, I think they'd go, oh yeah, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Whereas to me, I was like, I wish you'd done the expected because yeah, sometimes, I, I, so, sometimes I think Route 1 is better. But in, in credit to them, I can't think of any other bands coming out at that time with that sound. You know, because back then there was a lot of, 88 was sort of punk was almost coming to an end of that sort of shouty punk, black flag, minor fret, the, the American sort of punk style in that sense. But then again, I'm not a black flag fan as as well. You know, I've, I never went back and checked them out. And the times I have, I've just gone, nah, it's not for me. Um, and that's fine. 
It's not for me. It doesn't matter that Fugazi might have inspired Million Dead. I like Million Dead. They were of my time. And yeah, there were some bands where they would wear a band T-shirt and I'd go, oh, I'm going to go and check out that band because they're wearing that T-shirt. But, you know, I think I think it's okay that I wasn't a massive fan of it. I like, yeah. I, there's a lot of bands I do like where I can clearly see, yeah, <laughs> there's something there like um, Touche More or um, bands of that stature. I'm like, yeah, clearly liked this Fugazi record. And I get that, but it doesn't mean I, I like the Fugazi record. So what we what are you ranking on so far? Is this uh, <laughs> how many how many of these have you liked so far out of the five? No, no, no. I will, I will, I, I won't be buying the vinyl for my own collection, but I will probably go back and li- I will listen to other Fugazi records because of it. I'm going to take this e- exploration a bit further. I'm not just enough. Beasties. I'm cutting off. Bang, done. You're gone. Uh, Johnny Cash, done. Out. Fugazi. <laughs> Fugazi, you're... Um, this is a crazy party. You're kicking all these guys out. Uh, Ian McKay. I think it's Mackay, actually, now I think about it. Ian Mackay might become a, a regular... He could be at the party with Ian from Lightning Seeds. Um, yeah, all the Ians. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I'm going to check out more Fugazi songs. I think I think that's a decent conclusion to that. Okay. That's not such a bad thing, then. Because I've got bands that I love that... I'd never go back and listen to their really early stuff, but it might have been the really early stuff that was the reason that I ever listened to them in the first place. That makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. you kind of get into them and then you're like, yeah, but I prefer the stuff that came later because yeah, they that, got again, that's fine. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It's funny. Like I know we, I don't want to keep harping on about this, but I do, I do really feel like we were pretty good at resisting that, um, that pressure to to be um, completists in terms of the history of the the genres we were into. Like, I think if you ask a lot of those artists, they'd have much preferred that we were doing what we were doing, which was supporting bands that were still going and actually yeah. putting money behind those acts and going to shows and buying T-shirts and CDs and you know vinyl and stuff. Um, I, I think what we did made sense. I, d- I don't think a lot of these legacy acts need another um, CD sale or, or needed another CD sale at the point that we were getting into the music that we got into. Yeah, yeah. Um, for us here, in case anyone to, thinks that we're uninformed assholes. Not to go off topic too much, but can you can you think of a band where you really enjoy the new stuff, but the old stuff doesn't cut it for you? Um, off the cuff. I mean... I've got a lot the other way round. Coldplay, for one. Love those first two albums. Don't really like what they're doing now. That's an easier like, uh, choice, isn't it? But thinking of it the other way around is. I think um, some of the, uh, the the punk acts that we're into, like I, um, yeah, like I don't go back to really early Lagwagon stuff. Like I don't Hoss. go back. To... I'm not. Everyone rates Hoss by Lagwagon, not for me. Yeah. I'm sort of a let's talk about feelings onwards. Yeah, but like Alkaline Trio as well. Like I, I've never really got yeah. into the only albums of those, but I think they're. Their like last three or four albums, or maybe even more, have all been pretty solid. Like, I, I think they're very good now. They're very good songwriters, and they've still got that energy um, from that yeah. earlier stuff. But production got better, you know. Yeah, if... I'm not a big fan of Private Eye. That mm. album, I'm yeah, not that album still sounds a bit ropey but in places. Time to waste onwards. Yeah, uh, that. What is the time to waste album called? Uh, that's called Crimson. Crimson. 
Um, that's that's a great album. Love yeah, that. I think album. That they were a band that did benefit from production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It stepped up massively from. Oh, I can't remember the album that. Uh, oh, from here to the infirmary. Yeah, I think was a private eye on, and then from that to Good Morning, which had uh, we've had enough, and those like big step up though on the production between them, and then a big step up again to Crimson. But I think that it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we've gone on a bit of a side note here, but this is a podcast episode in itself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, where production went too far for some bands, and there was some where it bled the energy out altogether. But I think how can I show? I think they had one album that was right on the edge which was that um oh, i can't remember what it's called because i don't own it it's the one after crimson and then they went back they they, they realized they'd gone too far in terms of is it. that the front cover with the it's got the bat skull thing like the classic icon yeah yeah um i'll find out if you want no don't worry um anyways <laughs> moving on um right so agony and irony agony and irony uh, a yeah. bit of a change of pace Earth, Wind & Fire is my next one. Um, And this, I think, is is interesting in that it's the only one on either of our lists that's a best of. It's a compilation. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, so it's best of volume one. I don't think there was ever a volume two. I think it was one of those weird things where they did a best of quite early and it was pretty much just a collection of tracks from the first couple of albums that they did. Um, And then as they've done... um, greatest hits and stuff later it's included those earlier ones as well which you do see quite a bit where where a best of gets re-released it, it very rarely goes right best of we've done that right now we're gonna release some new music like green day for example didn't do international super hits then release a bunch of new music and then when they did the um greatest hits that they did a couple of years back they didn't start it from after international super hits they included the earlier stuff as well mm-hmm. um so that was quite often the fair and i guess still is for greatest hits collections um so i guess the thing of earth wind and fire is that it's it just feels like it's in my blood like my mum was a huge fan this is like her genre so this oh, is, is it? You know, going back to the title of the book the 261 greatest albums since punk and disco this is the obviously the disco part of the of that title um so I think I probably just grew up with Earth, Wind & Fire. So when I put it on, it all sounds familiar. So listening to it, it wasn't like I was listening to it for the first time at all. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that anything really stood out that much other than the notable tracks, which I'll get onto in a second. But I do just, I do just find it just to be such a listenable sound, uh, their music. And I feel like I could quite easily put this on if I was going out of an evening, if I'm like getting ready and having a couple of pre-drinks or something, like not like getting totally smashed, but just, you know, like a bit of music just to get you ready, just to yeah, leave the party house. Party music. Like... Sorry? Party music. Eh, not party. Party music to me sounds a bit more like um, uh, Black Lace or something, but. All right. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just so easy listening. It's so positive. It's so upbeat. And I think reading between the lines, I think some of the the lyrical themes were perhaps a bit darker, but they've done the um, you know that's that's uh, that's reference less than Jake now. They've done that classic thing of of, of things aren't great, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be depressed. We're going to sail on through, and and the music is actually really upbeat and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's that kind of sing your troubles away sort of approach to to, to songwriting, um, but. 
the the thing that I can't not mention is that September is on this album, and people who know me uh, will know that I love Africa by Toto, uh, yeah, as a lot yeah, of people yeah. do. Uh, for some reason, it's become synonymous with me to the point that any time that there's a new meme about Africa, every fucker will send it to me. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I don't yeah. mean because it's, it's nice. I'm like, oh, cool, yeah. I've seen it about five times already. Um, but September for me is in that godlike tier that Africa is like, I will never tire of hearing that song. Uh, and it, of course oh, it gets iconic. used. Yeah, it is. And it, I, I know it gets used in adverts and stuff, but I don't care. I love it. And unashamedly. So like I've got friends that will message me when, uh, the 21st night of September rolls around each year to say it's, uh, it's Earth, Wind and Fire Day. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what, what more really to say about this album. I did, one thing I learned, which I had no appreciation for before, is that you know, um, obviously we uh, with we're casual fans of Phil Collins and uh, Easy Lovers being a track that we've played on repeat a few times in the past at various times. Um, I always wondered who the other guy was because it's Phil Collins and Philip Bailey, right? He's yeah. from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like it's so obvious now. Like and then like listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire again, I'm like, of course, like that high vocal, like that's. That's exactly um, the same. Like, yeah, so it's so obvious now. But I can't believe I, d- I just didn't realise that until until reading off on Earth, Wind & Fire. Well, yeah, but you, it's not one of those things you would know just off the top uh, of your no, head, I guess, would it? I guess not, <laughs> because I, I kind of, I knew that the other guy was called Morris because they've got like two vocalists. So this is something that I saved this. this I can't remember if this was um, before or after we even did this, but I thought this was hilarious. So this is somebody uh, that was talking about um, Earth, Wind and Fire, right? So <laughs> talking about September. right? So this, this is a quote from someone. They said, uh, September was the first song that Morris and I worked on at my office in uh, Almo slash Irving Music. I asked him about the significance of the 21st of September from his lyric sheet, and he said, I just like it. that's sometimes that's sometimes all you need isn't it so it carries on what bothered me most was the use of badia it sounded like filler i said we're going to replace that with real words right he said he liked them the way they were (laughs) 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 resolutely just like yeah it's gonna be the 21st of september you want to say anything else nah (laughs) this is the uh the biggest smile i've seen on your face all evening <laughs> out of both us you, you... like this 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 song coming out uh in the results of, of what was pulled at random this this would be like if a toto album had come out in this like hey what can you i, I would you wouldn't we would have had to swap it out to be fair yeah. because but i i mean i probably have heard this compilation over the years i'm sure my parents probably had it but i've never sat down and listened to this you know back to front um but I put it on before we started recording again tonight, just as a just warm up, and it's just it's it's so pleasant to listen to. That's good. That, 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 sometimes that's all you want, isn't it? Like yeah. I said, I'm, I'm about never gonna, yeah, I'm never going to really dive into it and like learn all the words or anything, but just to put on, it's just yeah, nice music. Oh, I'd recommend good. it to anyone right now. It's I, taken I like this. It could um, it could help you sail through lockdown. This album could taken this long to get like a really really positive thing yeah i've got nothing bad to say about it oh good that's nice uh, can i um i've just written these i was paying attention but can i do a quick rundown of what we've done yeah go for it all right 
just if you're listening, we've done three albums each. So we've got Needing Drugs to listen to Ecky and the B- Echo and the Bunny Men. Liam won't be waiting till September to check out more Earth, Wind and Fire. Ed's not fueled by Fugazi. Ed won't be spending any money on Johnny Cash. The Clash should definitely go. I'm not impressed by the Beastie Boys. It's like a chart rundown. How did you oh, feel? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, no, I, I gather that's what you were doing. Oh, good. The, I, there wasn't any like, better, better, better. That's fucking countdown. That's not top of the pops, is it? You know, <laughs> in the actual edit, there'll be like lights flashing. If you can just chuck that in, there'll be music. Yeah, there'll be, yeah, yeah. Just chuck it over yeah, the top. You can put lights in a uh, audio recording. That's fine. Well, yeah. Right. Uh, no, I, I, I got that. And that made a lot of sense because I've been watching a lot of... Um, Top of the Pops uh, repeats lately. And I, I I hadn't realized that they do go through the countdown throughout the show. So you get like, right, we're going to go from 40 to 30. And then you get a few more. And then you yeah. get, right, now it's time to 30 to 10. So I watched one the other night, actually. Okay. Which one was it? The 1990s one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was no. really late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, so we're on the home straight now. So we've got, um, so we're, we're kind of past the halfway point, but we've got two more each. You could say if we're on the home straight, we are, uh, you won't get this, so I'm not expecting a reaction, but we are Roadrunners, Roadrunners, which is the first track on the album I'm about to talk about by the Modern Lovers. I'm interested to hear about this one because I know nothing about this band at all. Nor did I. And what I will say is there is a deep history. I'm not going to go too much into that, but what I will say is the front man Jonathan Richmond is the singing narrator in something about Mary. Oh, wow. You know, the there's something yeah, yeah. who gets shot at the end by <laughs> the gran or the, the, yeah, yeah. The I know next door. I've not seen it for many years, but he, so I put this on and I was like, and it kicks in and there's like, and I was just like, bang, this fucking smile came on my face. I was like, what the fuck is this? And I just, I loved it. I so enjoyed this album. It's from 1976. It's got like a, the sound of it is a bit doorsy, you know, in that, you know, the doors have got that organ sound, like that came out in like the seventies with the rock acts. Like, yeah, I know something you mean. Like a jazz organ type. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's got that under it. And there's, you can tell it's got a bit of like Velvet Underground feel to it, but it's got more pace. It's not a, a downbeat album. It's just a lot of pace. And clearly it's well thought of because Rolling Stone ended up putting it in their top 500 albums of all time. Wow. It, it came in the 300s. It was like 341. And bearing in mind, the Sex Pistols have covered Roadrunner at Brixton when they did their big reunion, the first reunion, which was well received. Um, and then there's a track they've got called Pablo Picasso, which has got this, this lyric in, all right? <laughs> While the girls would turn the color of a avocado when he would drive down the street in his El Dorado. Oh, and lovely. Just, I like that. Oh, fucking. And it's, but the whole album is that sort of mindset. It's, and that track, Pablo Picasso, has been covered by Iggy Pop and David Bowie, or David Bowie, however you want to say it. Mm. So these are... Big names fucking covering this album, which was written in basically like 1973 and wasn't recorded till 1976. And then they basically disbanded. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got the sense it was a one and done. 
And he went, Jonathan Richmond went on to be like Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, and now he's just a solo artist. Who, by the way, does not look his fucking age. Like, he's no. like 79 or something now. He looks about 40. You know? um, but yeah, it was, I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I've listened to it five or six times now on various runs, and I've, and I've, I've had it on in the background over Christmas while I've been cooking and stuff. And it's just got a real good vibe to it. It's like the Earth, Wind & Fire um, album. It's just great. It's just good to have on. It's, it's exciting music, but it, it's clever. Like the lyrics and the wording and the way Jonathan presents them. Like he's clearly a songsmith. He clearly knows his way around a, a good tune. And I'm sure if I was to go, uh, like Google it properly, I'm sure he's going to be credited with some songwriting stuff. Yeah, probably, yeah. Because he seems like that sort of character. Like the fact he made it onto something about Mary... You know, and he performed like there's a couple of YouTube videos of him performing some of the tracks from it at gigs and stuff as a bit of a nod. And I guess it was a good ticket sale thing. Um, but yeah, it's like it's like a typical it's not a typical. It's it's like a 70s rock and roll album. It's it's cool. And it's got a oh, cool, such a lame word, but it's got a cool sound to it. Yeah, it's a, bit of a swagger. Yeah, it's rough around the edges. It's not perfect, but not a lot of those albums from that period were. But like, just the way it's presented, it was really. I really enjoyed it, and I've tried to buy the vinyl of it, but it's quite expensive. Okay, um, yeah, I guess. I guess if it's become a bit of a cult thing, then probably it doesn't get repressed that much. Can I add though that David Bowie, when he covered Pablo Picasso, they do a really weird cover of it. He doesn't. He doesn't credit the Modern Lovers either you know, trying to pass it off as his own. And the way he sings it, he clearly gets the wording wrong because he goes, I was going to do a Bowie impression, but I don't think I can. Hello, hello. Well, the girls would turn the colour of a juicy avocado. It's like nowhere is juicy in there. You can't add fucking lyrics to it, mate. You can you know... Why didn't you cover John Lennon, Imagine, and call it, uh, you know, something to just don't sing Imagine? You know, Come on, it's the fifth anniversary of his passing today, I think. Oh, God, respect. Um, but yeah, the cover was awful. That's what I'm mainly saying about the David Bowie cover. But the Iggy one's not bad. And the Sex Pistol one is quite good, actually, that I, I, I saw at Brixton. Um, it works quite well with Johnny Rotten's voice for some reason. But yeah, I really enjoyed this album. Really enjoyed it. And um I was, it was really surprising because obviously I checked the date, the 1976, and I was like, ah, all right, let's have a listen then. What's this going to be? And then it came on and it's like this organ. And I was like, oh, you know, it sort of, it was a bit of an alarm. It was like, oh, I better start listening then. And I just did. I listened to the whole thing. I think this is the, perhaps the first one that you've mentioned that I'm going to go and listen to out of curiosity. Mm. And I really would. Because I, I, it was, it was, it, it was, yeah. I, as you can see, I've, I've stared at you a lot more for this one because I haven't made many notes because I just was so enthusiastic about it anyway. Whereas the others, I sort of overcompensated for my lack of love for it by making more notes. Yeah, yeah. But I put it this way: the next album, fuck all notes. <laughs> okay. okay. But yeah, I would go and check it out. It. it whether or not you'll like love it, but I think you'd listen to it and go, I, yeah, this is an enjoyable album. Cool. Well, I could totally change track again now. Um, All right. My next one is Khalees. Oh. Uh, it's a debut album, Kaleidoscope. Now, 
when this got pulled out at random, I feel like I need to keep reinforcing that. It was at random. I was quite pleased with this one because I don't think I would have ever made time to go back and listen to it. But I kind of welcomed the excuse to. Yeah. Because there's a lot of pop music from the early 2000s that I feel like I dismissed perhaps unfairly because we were so into uh, punk and ska at that point. But before that, I had grown up listening to the charts mostly. So had a good appreciation for pop music from sort of like the mid to late 90s. Uh, But there's a lot of stuff from that early 2000s era that I just kind of missed. Now, this album actually came out, I think it was very early uh, 2000. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because coincidentally, it was the 20th anniversary and she was supposed to tour this album. uh, And the UK or the London date was at the Roundhouse. Uh, But it didn't happen because it was, uh, yeah, I love the Roundhouse, as I've said many a time on the show. Um, But it didn't happen because of the pandemic. It was supposed to be on... Uh, March 17th, which is also Sam's birthday, my partner. Um, so I wouldn't have been going <laughs> regardless. <laughs> but it's, it's supposedly it's going to happen. Uh, but funny enough, in, in the lead up to this tour happening, uh, somebody uh, interviewed Khalees. I think it's for The Guardian, actually. And she's kind of like walked away from the spotlight now and is living still in California, but out of LA. So she lives on a farm with her partner and two children. And she's kind of like removed herself from that. And I guess in part, it it probably has something to do with, you know, I'm not saying she's old, but her age, she probably doesn't feel the need to be like, you know, front and center in LA anymore. Um, She's she's made her music and she's got her hits and she has a fan base and she doesn't need to prove herself or, or or, uh, prove herself to anyone else, you know? Um, But the album itself. So, I I could have introduced it by saying uh, Pharrell Williams Kaleidoscope because he and his partner that were the the Neptune's production team okay they basically wrote and produced the whole thing really? uh, so they found Khalees and and basically wrote this album for her uh, and, and 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 launched her as an act interestingly I didn't realize this it didn't um. It didn't chart in the US. Like it, it wasn't successful in the US at all, which is mad when you think about how big a hit uh, Milkshake was and, and still gets played a lot, that track. Yeah. Um, that was from a third album, I think. Um, the big hit from this one was Caught Out There, which I do remember from that time period of the early 2000s. And I don't think I was ever like particularly fond of it, but I didn't dislike it. Listening to it again now, I've, I've really got an appreciation for how good that song actually is. I mean, it's it's an odd track, isn't it? Because basically the chorus, she's just shouting at someone where she says, I hate you so much right now, right? But my appreciation for that now at 33 is how they managed to have her shouting, but it not actually sound that abrasive. Like yeah. they've got it perfectly in the mix for it to still have that aggression and to get the effect they were going for but you can listen to it (laughs) it still works as a track and it's the thing that i guess a lot of like metal and you know hardcore bands like have to struggle with all the time because you don't want to do it to the point that it's unlistenable um yeah you know i always i always just think the cradle of filth like he basically just screams and growls the whole thing but the way that it's mixed it's not like 
you're just listening to a recording of someone screaming like it's it's properly you know bedded in with the music uh, and that's a bit of a weird tangent to go off on isn't it from Kelly's to Cradle of Filth but you get the point that I'm making right like it, yeah, yeah. it it's still quite melodic what she does on that chorus so I, I think that's quite an underrated track actually for for what it did it's, it I didn't know the Pharrell Williams link and that that thinking of that I hate you so much right now. I, it's it's very, got a bit of an yeah. NERD feel to it, hasn't it? Because they've got that. Yeah. Um, is it lap dance? Their mm. big, their one of their big tracks. That's got like a bit of a when it's building and it gets shouty, but it's not yeah, shouting. Right? Yeah. The chorus. The chorus of, of that lap dance song is basically someone talking, isn't it? But kind of like demanding, like. And the, Baby, you want me? That's well, you right, can get yeah, this lap dance here for free, you know. That's right, but that's yeah, yeah. that's. Uh, I guess that track that and and NERD's kind of popularity or their sort of renewed popularity was was shortly after this. It was around that same time, and I was never really that big into that. I think what brought me back to paying some attention to the Neptunes and Pharrell was when I went back and dug into um, Gwen Stefani's back catalogue because I, I I kind of had a passing interest in No Doubt, and then and then kind of went back. Uh, and listened through those, and then moved on to Gwen stuff. And Pharrell, I think, did the first couple of her albums. And oh. it's incredible, actually, how many similarities in terms of the the songwriting and the just production style you can hear between this album and uh, Gwen's first album, um, Love Angel Music Baby, which I was trying to remember the other day, wasn't I, when we were talking about it? Yeah. And that is what it's called. Um, and I really liked that album. I really liked what Pharrell did on that. But I wonder whether he learned some lessons because on this Khalees album, there is way too much of him singing over intros, interludes, outro. Like, I just, my my key note for this was going to be just too many dudes. Like, just Khalees has such a lovely voice. And there's one track on it, which is the standout for me, which is called Roller Rink. And I like for me, like I, when I was listening to all these albums, I was thinking, right, which of these songs am I going to put immediately into my library like what well, i'm gonna hit like you know the the heart thing on spotify so it goes into light songs and roller rink was the first one that i was like this is perfect like it's such a, a a well-written and produced pop song and when i went back to listen to it again i was like but does it really need him just like on the introduction like uh he, he kind of ruins this album even though he wrote it and uh and produced it and made it all happen there's just a bit it's, too much of his vocal on the track. And I just, I feel like she should have been given uh, more center stage on it because I, I, I wonder whether that's what um, dampened the, the success of it is that it just, I suppose he had a, he had a reputation and was using it to introduce her and to break her as an artist. Yeah, I get that. But for me, for Alan Williams, you know, as far as I knew, it's, because he's 40, one second. He's mid to late 40s, yeah. He's 47, right? So you're set, I've, I've been more aware of him in the last decade where he was just on any big track. Not even the decade, is it? When was Happy and stuff like that? That's, that that's 2013, around that sort of time. So if you call him the last decade where he was with, um, he did that big track about... Um, Bow, bow, bow. Bow, bow, bow. What's that one? Um, blurred lines. Blurred lines. Blurred 
Yeah, he was on that one, wasn't he? He's done Happy. He's done one with the fella from Nile Rogers. And oh, I, the Daft Punk track. What you're saying to me is actually he's been shitting on songs for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the last decade. He, we haven't been able to get rid of him for for two decades. I know because I think there's like, a few. Tra- a lot I think of there's a few tra- lucky, do they? But I, I do. I do because it's Daft Punk. Like I, I can no, no. I, look for me. He doesn't make the track. It's an okay performance, but it could have been someone else singing it. It's not essential that it was Pharrell. They obviously liked him and had a good relationship because I think he's on another track on that album as well. Um, but yeah, That's I, what can I mean, he's really- never on one track. He's on two. You know, he's <laughs> not on two tracks. He's on three. Oh, while you're here, while you're here, Pharrell, do this one as well, will you? <laughs> but here's the thing. But the thing is, though, like he obviously had a massive hand in the first uh, couple of Gwen Stefani albums. And I love both of them. And I like this Khalees album. So I can't discredit his abilities. I just don't need to hear him all the time. Yeah. Um, I didn't want this to be like, you know, slagging Pharrell Williams off. Um, but I just, I just, no, I, no, no, no. And I, I don't speak for your opinions. I, oh, it, I, I tell you what I, makes I, it easier <laughs> is that they reading the stuff, um, the article of Khalees, I'm pretty sure they ripped her off and didn't pay her a penny. Like she was on the understanding that it was going to be split a third, a third, a third with those two producers and her. And she says that she's never received a penny for those first couple of albums that she did with them. No. Yeah. There you go. Why is the music industry so horrible? eh? Well, you'd have to tell me. Um, But yeah, I'd say I enjoyed the album. I don't know whether I would, add the whole album to my library but there's certainly tracks that i really enjoyed and i'll i'll probably add to a playlist so yeah that was a that was a good one i was pleased with that bar modern lovers i i knew roughly a couple of tracks of everyone i was given and obviously with Khalees, you would have known the two the two big ones wouldn't you but you, you just never know what you're going to get with the rest of the album that's the thing mm. um and that was very much the case for this album now unless you're going to absolutely slate the next album Nope, not at all. All right, okay. So it doesn't matter which order we go in because I didn't want to end on a negative. No, you're, you're but, safe. All right, okay. So like I said, you know the singles, but you don't know the albums. Now, the next band, I don't think there's a person in the world who wouldn't know There She Goes. And I was obviously aware of that track. And it is one of those tracks where I would probably include it in the if we were having a conversation, I would say, yeah, it's a track I will never get bored of. I was a, uh, I was a fan of that track. I can hear There She Goes and I could hear it again the next day and not think twice about it. And so I, I was sort of looking forward to this. And then I was also like, oh, you know, I like my indie to be a certain way. And it was, it was really odd. I'll paint a picture. My Front Lawn. I killed it all off at the start of the summer because the grass was shot. It was terrible. We'd had some building work going on on the back of the house. So one of the lawns was now just digger tracks. So I basically killed any remaining grass and then borrowed a rotavator. So it came to the morning. Uh, it came to one Saturday morning. Christy took the boys because uh, we were allowed to, at that point, I think we were allowed in other people's gardens. So Christy uh, went around her parents' garden for the the day, and I was left to do rotivating. 
And rotovators, as you can imagine, are quite noisy. They literally, they loads of blades, they go into the ground and they churn up dirt. It, it was just a cheaper way of not having to buy loads of topsoil before I did grass seeds. Anyway, so I've got both headphones in and I put on this album, the Lars self-titled. And Spotify at that point for me kept bloody going straight to that shuffle feature it does. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever had this where you listen to an album and you're like, hold on, that's not fucking track two. Yeah. And you go on it and you're What's like, why do I have a press yeah. shuffle? Um, so I was totally unaware of the album. I didn't know. I, did, I hadn't Googled anything. So the first track comes on, Son of a Gun. And then it goes to like, and I'm like, all right, this is good. I like this. And then it does another track. And I'm like, oh, blimey. Yeah, this is all good. And it got like five tracks in and I've still not heard There She Goes. And by this point, I had genuinely forgotten that that might come up. And I and I was loving it, which I think it speaks wonders because I wasn't waiting for There She Goes. I was enjoying everything. And then it cut to some more stripped down acoustic tracks. And I was like, okay, this is weird. Why is it like, how's this creeped up on the album? I then find out by going on Spotify because I was like, a song got repeated, but it was a it was like a a, um, a different version. Okay, and yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, I've not put on a, the standard album, and I had I'd put on a remastered version with like eight bonus fully acoustic tracks. So I then take it off shovel and go back to the start. So Son of a Gun comes back on again. I love it even more <laughs> 40, mi- 40 minutes later than I did the first track. Brilliant. Straight into track two, I can't sleep. Timeless melody. Oh my God. How have I never heard this track before? This is insane. Fourth track, Liberty Ship. Wow. What the, how have I not listened to this? And then track five, there it is. There she goes. And it was like, oh my God, there she goes. Yes. This phenomenal, a lot of people would say one hit wonder. How have people not heard the four fucking starting tracks off this album (laughs) so then it comes into this track called doldrum and i'm like i'm literally i can still remember i'm like dancing now with this fucking rotavator (laughs) i've like got a little skip in my step and then the track called feeling way out iou the whole album if if this was a different day i would be doing this as a perfect album feature um how do the songs sound in comparison to There She Goes? Is it much the same? No, I, no, I think There She Goes. Well, I think they're, they're... All right. So one of the things that upsets me about it is there is a little bit of a Beatles vibe to it. They're from Liverpool. It's 1987. They're doing the anti-mank thing. Okay. Like the Happy Mondays and I guess um, bands of that sort of... Stone Roses, all the big Manchester bands. And then you've got this band out of Liverpool who are acoustically driven, the most amazing harmonies between Lee Mathers, the front man, and John Power, the bassist, who has got the most amazing voice, who went on to become the, well, not become, he started cast. Uh, he yeah, I just very briefly read that when I was sending you the pages of the book. That yeah, famous for walk away which obviously i know that track um it's got this raw sound the whole album um 
that you know a similar vibe to that brit pop feel but it, mm-hmm. this is just different this is just people talk about like lennon and mccartney like i do genuinely think people should be talking about mavers and power you know lee mavers is this not recluse recluse isn't the word but no one hears from him he like creeps he pops up once in a while to do like a random gig but um the last the the lars really ever did was like 1995 they got back together to do a few festivals and stuff um and there's nothing's ever been proven but there's a lot of chat about drugs and alcohol within the band but i think a lot of the bands that came out of that period you know the early 90s you'd be hard pushed to find a brit pop band that weren't mm-hmm. doing drugs and stuff yeah, a lot of them yeah it was it was it, there was whatever it was there was a lot of it going around um but he is the most exceptional fucking songwriter like these songs aren't good they're great and you know i'm not i'm not easily swayed on stuff i don't but this honestly once again thanks to you i've i'm finding one of my all-time favorite bands and i'm 33 <laughs> in I a roundabout way i suppose you're right but I mean, I, I didn't but, buy the book for myself. It was bought for me. So you may have to thank the person who bought me the book. But you, you, you know that feeling where, like, and you, you might have this one day, or you, you still might still have the feeling, you know. I get to, to, Fred and Max, my boys, will have that moment of finding their new favourite band. And not just that band that stays with them for a year and then they, you know, oh, they were my favourite band last year. Like a lesson, Jake, for you and I, there was a point where you realized when you went, Jesus Christ, this is my favorite band. And 20 years later, they're still your favorite band. And you only get that feeling sort of once. So imagine me listening to the Lars album for maybe the 100th time now and going, I've potentially found one of my all time favorite bands, you know, and then I do going- love this when it happens. And to be fair, it's part of the reason why I I didn't completely, you know, right off the idea of doing this at all because i know that there's been albums that i've um that i've given a go over the years like i i'm always singing the praises of the the new radicals album mm. uh, maybe you've been brainwashed too which is such an obscure album really like obviously um get what you give is is a huge single yeah. but there was a couple of other singles from that album that didn't really chart and don't get played anymore but when I went back and listened to that, I think I had the same experience that you're having with this, where you think, where has this been all my life? Like, And I was, what, I suppose 2013, around that sort of time? That seems to be the magic year at the moment. Um, <laughs> I think it was that year that I just gave that album a go. And at that point, the album probably been out for, what, 14 years or so? Yeah. And it was, But it also sounded as fresh as it had just been released that day. Like... It's really weird, but it's it's a magical thing to happen, and it's yeah, something I, that I always hold on to with music. Like, you know, we, we talked about some of these albums, like The Clash. Like, okay, I've got no appetite to go back and listen to The Clash, but let's say that one day, for some reason, I do listen to The Clash's second album. Like, I'm all for the possibility that I may love it to the point that it becomes my new favorite album. Like, I'm not writing that off. I don't think you were either of any of these. Like, or well, clearly not, but. Some work and some don't, and you just the 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 beauty of music is that you just there's no fucking formula for that, is there? It just yeah. either happens or it doesn't. 
this this is why we've often joked about you know we don't we we've never set we don't you know this is a totally free podcast it's cost us money it costs us time and money to do this podcast um but time is money this this is yeah but this is the love of it this is what music fans do they you know i just love that we came up where you came up with this idea we rolled with it and now this has happened you know i went out and bought the vinyl i paid a lot of money to try and get an as original pressing because i am a bit of a sucker for them um and I swear to God, like I put it on before I went for a run today. Um, side note, it was the first time I'd been in the forest since I lost my dog, uh, you know. And as I got to literally Bruce's favorite spot, <laughs> there she goes came on. And I was like, I was just, it was like I'd heard it for the first time again. And I was like, Jesus Christ, sometimes music does this to you. Like, so, yeah. Oh, man, that, that riff is a bit of a, um, the whole hook of the, of the intro is, uh, is a, is a bit of a tearjerker in the way that it's quite joyous. Like, I, there's a couple of shows that it's in. It's in, this is England 1990. And it's yeah. the first track that plays on the um, pilot episode of Gilmore Girls as well. Okay, all right. But every time I hear it on either of those two, and I think I've only really watched This Is England, that particular series once, but when you hear it, it's just like, oh my God. I realized over Christmas actually about films, like I don't tend to cry at films when something sad happens, like because I know that it's not real. But when something joyous happens in a film, oh, I can be in floods of tears. And I think what really hit home, I'll I'll make sense of this for the conversation in a minute. (laughs) We rewatched the Eurovision film on Monday, okay, yeah, yeah, because um, we just needed a laugh, and I absolutely bawled my eyes out at the bit where they get back to um, their little village in Iceland, and there's like the whole town there waiting to meet them. Did you the first time? I don't think I, I don't know if I did the first. Oh, I time. did. I, I was well enough at the, fir- might, the first. I time. I am. I am a crier. So. Yeah. I, I, it's but not there were tears streaming down my face at this, right? <laughs> and there, there's just a level. There's like a level of like just joy. And I would say that that introduction to there she goes is is that in in a in musical form. Like it just pulls on my heartstrings a little bit every time well, yeah. I hear it. The, what I would say, if you're going to write a, and I, I'm sure I've done my history, and there's a lot of Lars fans out there you know and they'd all argue against the one hit wonder but Mm. to to most people they're going to know there she goes potentially timeless melody but it wasn't as big a single at all and then the only reason a lot of people know there she goes when it first first was released it didn't really do that well but it was re-released like twice um which is when my version of the album comes out Uh, in 1990 so it was like they knew it was a hit but it didn't resonate the first time round um and they've since because that was the only full length they did and it took them two years to get right because lee mavers was such perfectionist they fired six producers i swear to god there was in that time john power the bassist and lee mavers were the only two original and lee mavers came in as a rhythm guitarist originally before he stepped into fronting it and songwriting there was 26 members in the band. Oh my God. They joke about it in interviews where like the both of them, John Powers, John Power and Lee Mavers are sat there and John Power is like chatting. He's like, well, you just didn't cut it. 
but um, Liverpool, Liverpool, um, Liverpool, they just didn't cut it. He, he wasn't good enough. He wasn't good enough. So we got rid of him. Same with the producer. We fired him. And then the interviewer sort of says, how many producers? Yeah, we've had six. We've had six producers, but now we've got the right one. And it's mad. They, 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 they don't hold anything back. It's not like they're lying. They were genuinely like eight, nine drummers. Um, he'd have a friend come and play rhythm guitar, then they'd get rid of him. Um, it was mad. Like the whole, the history of the band is insane. And it, it just makes it even more exciting that out of all of that came this album. And it is, it's, it, there's something, about, I don't know if it's the same for you, but there's something about, it's, it's mad to hear an album, which is pretty acoustic in sound, have this much power to it. And all I will say is people who only know There She Goes, take that out of this album. It's still a perfect album. Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't need There She Goes. There She Goes, if, if we were doing an episode on the best one-hit wonders, I would argue to toss that this is up there because like you say that opening little guitar riff the it's a fucking beautiful song but there are so many beautiful songs on this album that yeah it's i i'd probably have to put it in my top five of all time i i'm 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 obsessed by it and i don't i can't see me ever getting bored of it though you know uh, we, I've got a video of all of us when I first got the vinyl dancing around to it. Me, my, my wife Christy, and the two boys just playing it loud. And even Christy was like, "Who's this?" Because it's got it. If a band was doing this now, I'd say this was original. Do you know what I mean? It would be like, "Ah, yeah. oh, someone's gone against the grain. They've they've simplified it." with this beautiful guitar and the vocal stylings and the harmonies, because it is as much about the harmonies as it is Mather's songwriting. Cause John Power and his, their vocals work so great. And some of the acoustic performances they did around the time that it was released on like radio shows, the both of them work so well together, which I'm guessing is why John Power stayed in the band and wasn't booted out also. Um, but yeah, just a phenomenal album. I, I, I have nothing bad to say about it. I, I absolutely loved it. So I know you said you got bought that book, but you bought that book to the table. And although I knew there she goes, oh God, thank God this album was given to me. Like, because it has genuinely changed my life. I mean, if people um, tuned in for this episode uh, and stuck through the first couple of, you know, <laughs> misses, um, I, I think they got a big payoff. At, at this point with that so i th- i'm I'm really pleased that's, i think that's great well no no you know honestly i uh, would it would you like it um i'll give it do... i'll certainly give it a go i mean as i say like i was curious um to hear what uh, the modern lovers sounded like from how you described it but i'll definitely give this a listen i think you'd possibly prefer modern lovers it's got a bit more okay. um but then again you you fall in the indie remit as well you know this is nothing of uh, is out of the realms of possibility with this album i think it's that good um i hope it's not just me you know but if If it is if it is is, um but yeah i'm i know i've just worked out who your last album is so i'm really excited to hear what you've got to say about this right so this one i left till the end and i don't know why really so this is uh, Stephen Malkmus, his self-titled uh, debut solo album, 
I think I left it to last because I just, I don't know. I just didn't, I had no expectations of what it would be whatsoever. Like even the cover doesn't give anything away. It's just a picture of him. The font is like shit. <laughs> the font is <laughs> a particular style. And I could from that have ascertained maybe the era, but even when we, we pulled it out at random, I was like, who the hell is that? I'd never heard of it. <laughs> so he yeah. is the front man of Pavement, uh, supposedly seminal 90s emo rock band, yeah? Mm-hmm. You ever heard him? Um, no, that's the Vines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's completely different. I'm trying to think of a single... I've never, I'd never heard them. I all I kind of the only frame of reference I had was maybe Jimmy Eat World. Like they may have been around that same sort of era of when Jimmy Eat World sort of like. Are they a bit similar to Caving? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that where era. I sort of like put them, and and maybe okay. maybe like okay, so Quicksand um, sort of steps a little bit more into hardcore, but maybe like the emo side of quicksand could then sort of like partner with pavement. Do you know that that's kind of what I was thinking. And to be fair, I haven't done my homework. I haven't gone and listened to any pavement to, to get a comparison. So this, when I put it on, it starts with quite a average, but okay. Rock song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well I didn't really expect it to be this, but I don't know what I expected. Then from the second track, it just really picks up and I've got a load of artists that I could say that it sounds like, I mean, it came out in the early 2000s, about 2001. So it sounds like Ash from that era. It sounds like Weezer from that time. It even has like moments of sounding a bit like feeder. Uh, I'd say there's like, there's fountains of Wayne moments to it. Um, But the one that really stood out for me is it just sounds like the eels. Like it really sounds like even like oh, some of the yeah. eels more recent stuff. So oh, it's, right. it's got like a very, um, very standard sort of like indie rock sound. But I think of all of these on here, it's the closest to what I listen to most of. That makes sense. So yeah. like, yeah, Cuddy's cool. I listen to some pop music, uh, earth, wind and fire, yeah, I've got some appreciation for old disco music. Clash, punk, Echo and the Bunnymen, not so much. But this is so in the same um, wheelhouse as the stuff that I listen to. And I feel like if we had heard this, if for some reason he'd been a support act for any of these bands and we'd gone to see them back in this time, I think we possibly would have got into him. The mm-hmm. only caveat I would say is that I think there's something about solo artist that i think it's it's almost harder to get into like i feel like this album is for pavement fans even though it's different yeah it's an opportunity for them to hear the front man of the band that they love doing something slightly you know slightly different to uh to what they they're used to but they'd give it a go because it's him yeah 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 i don't know where it sits for someone in general like everything on it is good but you could get the same thing elsewhere do you know what i mean and 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 maybe a bit more exciting elsewhere like with it just being him i could almost imagine like if we had seen it as a solo um like an opener i think we'd have enjoyed it i think we'd have stood there and you know we wouldn't have been bored but i don't know if we'd have been that excited 
about it. So I think we might have just forgotten him. And maybe it would have come up, you know, somewhere else. And we'd have gone, oh, yeah, that's that guy that we saw opening for, you know, Weezer or whatever. But, yeah, I just, it wasn't, even though I liked the songs, I, I go so far to say it was inoffensive. Like, I didn't come away thinking... I really want to listen to it again. And I did, I did re-listen to it and I had it on earlier on today as well. But yeah, and maybe if I gave it a few more lessons, I might get into some of the, the songs. But as much as I enjoyed the sound generally, there wasn't any standout tracks for me on it. So All yeah, right. it was okay. So so you, 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 you say you'll listen again. Were you, would you... Listen again after that. <laughs> Who knows? I think what we'll probably do, I mean, this is, as we start to wrap up, um, I think it would be cool if we put together a playlist of a track from each of these so that if yeah. people don't want to go and listen to the, the whole album, they can at least listen to one track for a frame of reference. So maybe we'll pick ones that are kind of indicative of the whole album, mm-hmm. um, whether we like the album or not. Um, so I think for that alone, I'll dig into this Stephen Malkmus album a bit more and try and think, okay, so what is the track that I like the most of this bunch of songs? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny really that making the Eels comparison because there's some Eels tracks that I love, but I've never quite gone the distance and listened to an Eels album. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's a sound that I just don't mind. And I, I almost quite like it, but yeah, at the same time, I just, I don't know. I, I just wasn't, overly infused and i think part of it as well is like he's not going to do any i don't think he, i don't think he's going to do anything else like that, that, sorry that was his only one no i think he has done some other stuff and maybe he's doing more but i don't think he's going to be an artist. it's not the right time to get into this guy <laughs> you know like i would probably be better uh it'd be a better use of my time to go back and listen to pavement and maybe get into pavement because at least there's like some history there i bet still going this is more of like a more of a very personal project for him, I think. Do you know what I mean? It's just his way to like experiment a bit more with songwriting. Supposedly, he was um, quite pally with uh, Damon Albarn and, and had a lot of influence on on some of Blur's later stuff as well. Oh wow, that's an interesting caveat. Yeah, that's a good connection, isn't it? Because I'm sure, pretty sure he's American. Because I think Pavement are, aren't they? Yeah, um, I think they're an American band. But yeah, yeah. no, apparently, I'm sure I read when I was. Um, researching it that he moved to the UK and was like wasn't really doing much musically but was just hanging out with Damon (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it it wasn't a painful listen it was yeah it was pleasant well that's pretty cool isn't it yeah so all in all I'd say there were there were three albums that I really enjoyed the um the clash I, I yeah it was like it was okay Echo and the Bunnymen wasn't quite for me so it wasn't a bad selection really so, out of all those tracks, who do you think you're gonna? Who, who would you listen to again? Who are you gonna go back and really read and discover their back catalogue? Mm, I don't think I'm gonna do any. In truth. Oh wow! <laughs> because the thing is, I kind of know the direction that Cleese goes. Yeah. I'm not fussed about pavement or steve malcolmus um earth wind and fire well the hits are the hits and i know them already same with the clash really i I'd, I'd maybe out of curiosity listen to some later echo and the bunnyman stuff to see where they went with okay. their sound 
to see so how I'm it actually goes. I'm going to be listening to more of your albums than you are. Uh, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think that might be true of yours too, isn't it? Oh no, because you liked Modern Lovers, didn't you? Yeah, I've really liked Modern Lovers. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> I can't wait to pick a track for that because that's going to be difficult. Um, because yeah, but I've done so. I've done quite well. I've got two that I really enjoy and will listen to again. One of well, one of them I, I absolutely fucking love. One I really enjoy, and I've genuinely listened to it again. And um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, uh, the, the Modern Lovers is a good time. It's a really good time. The Lars will change your life, and Stephen Malkmus, you know, sort of middle of the road. Do you think you'd go back and check out maybe some of? Uh, uh, how many albums has Kalise done? Do you know off the top of your head, or you know, uh, was Pharrell involved in all of them? At least three or four. No, I think he was. A, I think he did the first couple, and then by the third album, she had made other connections, and I think she started to phase them out. And I think that's where a lot of the um, the bad blood started to occur between them, um, was that she didn't need them as much as she did at the beginning. I'll I tell you what I would say is that I would gladly go and watch Khalees live if, uh, if say she was um, doing a festival that I was at or, you know, it just, it just happened to work out. Like, I don't think I would travel, but let's say she played <laughs> Bournemouth for some reason. I, I think I'd go. She could easily, oh, isn't she doing festival? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I thought you sent me that poster because it had Khalees on. Have a quick look. Or have I made that up completely? Uh, well, the lineup would be subject to change yeah. now, anyway. Yes, yeah, she is. Yeah. I, yeah, she... I, 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 yeah, you sent me. So there's every chance we will, you will get to see her. Yeah. So I guess that is part of this 20th anniversary tour for this album, then. I mean, because she may that... play. She may play some different songs at the festival show. So yeah, there you go. If we uh, if we end up going to Camp Festival this year or whenever it happens, I will go and see Cadiz. Well, if I'm remembering correctly, there's a big hitter, isn't there, on uh, one of the evenings? Uh, Fat Boy Slim. Yeah, Fat Boy Slim. So the, 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 there's a certain appeal there. Groove Armada. Yeah, I'd see Groove Armada. Ecky Hill. Uh, Friendly Fires. Level Forty Two. Crikey, this is just becoming a, uh, a festival now. Finger Boys are playing it. Perfect. <laughs> wow, this could be... Oh, my God. I've just noticed that Sophie ellis Bexter is playing it, featuring Sink the Pink. If you yes. remember Sink the Pink... Did the track they... with Mel C. Bloody hell, you know your, you know your yeah. two-track line, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've listened to these episodes enough over the years. Over yeah. the years um cool well that was a really fun thing to do um, I, I loved it i'd love to maybe um halfway through the year we do it again as another january episode for next year yeah yeah okay uh, that makes sense whether it's the same book or we, similar list. Do the same thing. Yeah, I, yeah i think I this, this cuts off i think the book cuts off in 2005 i think mm-hmm. is as far as it goes so it might oh, t- no 2003 that's as, as that's as late as it goes so it might be worth trying to find something that's got something from the last 17 years included as well, because I'm sure there's loads of albums from that time period that uh, that we've overlooked. Yeah. Cool. Uh, do you want to tell the people where they can find you? Uh, you can find me at Run With Ed. 
on the uh, on the socials on Twitter and Instagram. I am trying to be more sort of active on Twitter. Uh, uh, well, it's it's a bit nicer now Twitter because there's no Donald Trump. Yes, and what a revelation that is! And then I get sent a thing saying that Twitter, um, Apple aren't regulating stuff and they're controlling your phones. You know, well, well, well done, mate. They've been doing that for years. <laughs> Um, I did have to laugh that um, someone made a parody account called Tonald Trump. <laughs> it's like the first tweet was something like, yeah, yeah. I'm new here looking to make some friends. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. That's so funny. Oh, dear. Yeah, that was good. Um, what was I going to say? And you're working on the first of perhaps a series of reviews, not of vinyl, not of the albums as such, but of the vinyl um, release for for particular albums, right? Well, yeah, if we're going to turn it into a production meeting, I'm hoping to post that this evening after this. Oh, cool. Um, so people may have seen that by the time they hear this episode. Potentially, yeah. Um, the video won't be on Instagram, but obviously we will, I'll post a screen ga- uh, grab and uh, something. But yeah, it's um, I'm going to try and do um, vinyl release reviews. Obviously, we go in depth, don't we, in the episode. But I'd like some of these albums that come out are really well thought out as a release and it'd be nice to show off some of that and a different look and then maybe if there's different variants it might give you an idea which variant you want potentially mm-hmm. but um I, yeah I'm, i've got an idea well shall i say the first one yeah to coincide with um an episode we did recently the first one i've done is lesson jake's silver linings there were six variants so it seemed very apt end of 2020 album came out to, to sort of kick that off um, to coincide with an episode. But I've got, I reckon five lined up that I think would work as good ones. And I've got, I've got loads in my collection I could talk about, um, but I'm going to do a couple of, I don't want to chuck out a load of big hitters to start off with, but I think the second one I've got is a cool one. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, it's my first time doing anything like this. Well, our first time um, going to try and get onto YouTube and see what we can do. Um, so yeah, bear with me. Hopefully the videos will improve as I get around my head around the technology, but I, th- I think it's all right. Oh, you've seen it. Um, yeah, it was good. It was entertaining. Well, yeah. And that's, that's what we want to be really. We, we, I'm not going for anything overly factual. I'll, I'll chuck it in there when it's needed. Um, but I, it's mainly to entertain. You might like it. It's five minutes. They might be short. They might be longer depending on the vinyl release, but yeah, it was enjoyable to do. Um, took up like 10 hours of my life <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> good luck oh, I know how you the, uh, or streamlining the process of editing well yeah so I'm, I'm hoping to streamline the video production after one version of it <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah thanks 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 for bringing that up liam you've segued no. into that really nicely thank you <laughs> that's all right it's all part of the uh, service uh, and you can find me at Liam Toms on Twitter as well and Instagram uh, and liamtoms.com where I'm really being hard on myself this year to, to to write some more because I've neglected it over the last few years. So go and check that out. You've also got something in the pipeline, haven't you, which you sent me a sort of... Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Which... Um, so, that, yeah, so I, I sent you a preview of the first article kind of like the introduction to a series of articles that i'm writing um called tentatively lessons from punk rock uh because i've realized that there's been lots of things as i've been going through my career path so far that i think to myself yeah i kind of learned this when i was in a band or putting on gigs or running you know the record label that we did um 
and it's just nice making those connections. Um, and what I didn't want to do, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, sort of my background and my day job is in marketing. And I didn't just want to write another series of articles about marketing because there's plenty of that out there. So I thought I'd write it from a personal experience. So there'll be some 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 stories with details edited out to protect the innocent or Ed. Um, and uh, yeah, and hopefully you'll, you know, you'll take something from it as well. So that will be coming soon to uh, liamtoms.com. Cool. Um, well, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. That um, the first one you sent me. So that's that's wicked. I really enjoyed it. Cool. And of course, you can find the pod at Two Track Mind Pod uh, everywhere where you might want to: Instagram, Twitter, etc. Um, and that's about everything. I think we've covered it all right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Christ, it's a it's a long one, but thanks for sticking with us. I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, what we'll do is we'll put a link to the eventual playlist that we put together in the comments. Goodbye for now. See you later.